God. Praise our God tonight. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We lift your name above every name. We worship you. We are so grateful tonight for your blessings. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. What a great place to be tonight. So good to see each of you here. And... Uh, Grateful for the presence of the Lord that we sense. We had a great weekend, such a wonderful, powerful prayer meeting Sunday night. And uh, we're going to be doing that from time to time throughout this coming year. I believe that's the best way to keep our focus on what really needs to be the focus. And uh, I believe it will be helpful to all of us. God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to do something different tonight. We're not going to tag team, but almost. But I'm going, to, I'm going to share a story with you and set up what my brother is going to come and talk to you about tonight. Uh, he and I had discussed this message. He had preached other places. He may have alluded to a few things here before, but not this particular message. But I felt today I, I was just, I could not get away from needing to call him. And so when we got to talking, I, I knew this, this would be, uh, what the Lord would want for us tonight. But let me just share this story with you. In uh, June of 2012, uh, Nick Walinda, who was a member of the famous Walinda family that were uh, tightrope walkers and uh, trapeze artists and all of that, he walked a tightrope across uh, the Niagara Falls, uh, one that had been suspended ab- across. Now, the the cable that he walked across on was 1,500 feet long, and the tra—I mean, the, the challenge of it was that it could not be stabilized, as normal uh, wires are, and so it was moving constantly uh, in 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 the process. And not only that, but uh, it dropped 35 feet. And so he had to walk downhill half the way and then uphill the other part of the way. And on top of that, the wire on which he walked was soaking wet constantly. Now, it was perhaps one of the most unique and daring events that's ever taken place. Not because of those things, but because of the ecosystem of Niagara Falls. Because of the force of the water coming over Niagara Falls, there is uh, there are wind currents that are stirred, and there are 60-mile-an-hour updrafts, and there are 60-mile-an-hour side winds that blow constantly. And so imagine, if you will, walking on a 6-centimeter diameter rope, 1,500 feet, and it's moving this way, And this way, and on top of that, you're being bombarded by a a mist and rain constantly. Now, in order to prepare for this event, he did something unusual. But he took uh, some airboats and he turned them up so that they would generate 90 mile an hour winds. And then he hired a bunch of fire trucks to come out. And he set up his cable, and this is how he practiced, with those winds blowing and them drenching him constantly with this uh, water from the fire hose. And it's probably, if you, you probably can find it on YouTube, uh, 
he pulled it off is probably one of the most impressive tightrope walking events that's ever happened in the world. And they say that as he inched his way across there, he was singing and praising the Lord nonstop. Now maybe there's a, a message in that, but I don't want to go there. The point of the story is this. In order to get through all that he was facing, it required an incredible amount of balance. It inquired more than just the skills that he had developed through the years, but there had to be that balance in his walking that kept him on target. And you know as well as I do, my brother and I were talking about it before service, but the world we live in is full of strong currents right now. And I personally believe that COVID-19 released some things in our world, spirit world, that we're, we're feeling the effects of even now, constantly. I don't know that it, I think it's been ratcheted up. But how are we going to get here to the other side without falling off or falling by the wayside? It's going to take a lot of balance. And my brother's going to come and share with you tonight the spiritual keys to maintaining your balance in the turbulence in which we live. Won't you uh, invite my brother with a hand clap of praise tonight? I'm glad I have such a smart brother. He makes me look smart. Amen. That's not true. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just read it beginning in verse 1. Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation with your call. With all lowliness, meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When you look at this passage carefully, you discover that there are three characteristics of, that are required to produce balance, and then there are two behaviors that are necessary for balance to show up in your life. And I want to talk to you about those tonight. We live in a world today that applauds selfishness, self-centeredness. It gives accolades to people who are more selfish than other people are. And as a result of our world, it's easy for us to start thinking that maybe it may not be just too bad. I'm not acting like them totally, as long as I'm not becoming the way they are, then maybe there's, there's not a, a, a real problem here. Paul's writing to a very interesting church. I've, I've shared with you the history of Ephesus in previous sessions. And, but Ephesus was this city of, that, that bragged and prided itself in being the center of education. Outside of Alexandria, Egypt, it had the largest library of its world, even including Rome. The only reason 
Alexander Egypt had a bigger library than they had is that Nero trying to impress Cleopatra gave the library of Ephesus to Alexander. And so all of their writings were moved. They lost them. But they, through the process of time, went back and collected all of those so that they had this huge library. And the face of that library is still there. I have a picture of it on my phone. It's quite impressive to see what they had done with their engineering skills and abilities of that time and what they created out of the imagination of human beings and the workmanship, the, the craftsmanship is just incredible. But they prided themselves in their ability to think and to reason and became just a little bit arrogant, <laughs> maybe more than a little bit arrogant, a whole lot arrogant. And Paul, writing from a prison cell, says, I, I, I want to share with you a gospel that has caused me to wind up in prison for your sake. And as a prisoner, I, I want you to understand that there, if you want to keep balance in your life, then there are some things you're going to be required to do for balance to take place. Balance don't happen by accident. The man who walked across Niagara Falls has spent years doing that. None of us would ever dare even take the first step out on that, that the cable because it's just something we can't do. And But he had the ability through practice, through time. Balance don't happen overnight. There are I, I shared with you a few months ago, maybe even a year ago, about the, the three types of balance, spiritual balance, physical balance, emotional balance. Those, those are all identified here in Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. But he lists three things that are very important for balance to take place. The word worthy is the word that translates balance, or to bring into balance, to level the bar or bring into balance. I, he said, I beg you to balance your life. How do you balance life? Well, the first characteristic that's necessary for balance to truly take place is lowliness. The Greeks, the Romans, made fun of Christians. They mocked them. And they referred to Christianity as a cringing servitude. A Jewish man would get up every morning and pray a prayer kind of like this, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I thank you that you did not create me a woman or a Gentile. That was a daily prayer because of the arrogance they had about who they were. And in the Colossian letter, Paul writes to the church and he lets us know there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, Bond or free, barbarian, Scythian, but we're all one in the body of Christ. Amen. They made fun of, uh, of people's language. Barbarian, the Greek word is barbar, which literally was just a mocking of a language that, that didn't sound good. They made fun of the way people talk. Has that become our world? See, our world today is not creating the environment for us to create balance. 
If it's going to happen, we're going to have to go against the mindset of the world we live in. Because the world's mindset is entitlement. I'm, I'm owed this. I shouldn't have to work for it. It should be something that just happens to me. And unfortunately, there was a time in Pentecost that we even embraced that idea. I remember as a child growing up in the church, hearing preachers say things that caused me to wonder how in the world does that work? And, and, and preachers would, I'd hear people say, you really need to get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is going to change you or fix you or it'll deliver you. And you read the Word of God and discover that there's not a scripture that can back that up. The scripture doesn't say the Holy Ghost is going to change you. It, it, it doesn't say it will deliver you. Some people have been delivered and some people have not been delivered. I don't know why God does it that way. I'm not going to ask him. It's not my business to find out why he delivered this one the day they got the Holy Ghost and their desire for alcohol or drugs or their desire for cigarettes just disappeared. But others get the Holy Ghost and struggle getting past these things in life. Why does God do it? I don't have a clue. But he's God. But he's not going to fix me or change me. So for me to have balance in my life, the first key characteristic necessary is humility. And being willing to humble myself. After three and a half years of teaching and preaching with 12 men beside him on a daily basis, going from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, hearing repeated sermons. I, I can prove to you Jesus repeated some of his sermons that he preached. The Sermon on the Mount, I know he repeated because it's found in five places in Luke. But Matthew lets us know simply by the way he writes it that it was a repeated sermon. He said he sat down and taught them saying. The, the verb in the original text is in the imperfect tense, which means repeated action in time past. Matthew heard that sermon on a regular basis. He, he heard it so many times, he just put it all together as one sermon. Those men heard him on a daily basis but they get to an upper room and have no clue what's about to happen now when you read their writings doesn't it appear in some of the things they recorded that regularly he let them know he was going to die and that crucifixion would be the way he died, because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That word lift up is not that praise or adulations. It, it, it literally translates, if I'm hung on a cross, I will draw all men to me. They heard him repeatedly, but it didn't process. And you know, I'm amazed at how we come to church and what we really get out of it. Because I get quoted of things I said, and I think, when did I say that, or where did I say that? Because 
I haven't said anything even close to that. So our hearing is selective, and that's the problem every preacher has, is getting past the way you think. We think humility is, is in one sense of the word, but it's not the way Jesus demonstrated it. How did Jim, Jesus demonstrate humility? He walks into an upper room that is basically in a cat fight. They're arguing about who gets to sit on the right and left. They've even got mama involved. And they got mama to go to Jesus and, and demand, you're, you're, you're my nephew, and because you're my nephew, one of my boys ought to be on one side, one on the other side. And, and so they've got mama involved in the process. And Jesus walks into that room where there's nothing but chaos. They don't even think about that within 12 hours. Within 12 hours, he'll be hanging from a cross. They think in 12 hours, he's going to kick Herod off the throne and that he's going to become king of the Jews and he's going to, he's going to fill David's throne and, and he's going to start reigning and, and they get a, a kingdom. They, they get a providence that they're going to be over and, and they're looking for all these things that, that they're going to be able to be entitled. When Jesus walks in that room and sees the problem, how does he respond to it? Does he chastise them? Does he start saying to them, you shouldn't be acting like this, or, or, or start preaching to them, or, or, or using guilt and shame? What does he do? How does he respond? He takes his coat off, and he wraps a towel around his waist. And he gets a pan of water. And he goes and kneels at the feet of those disciples. And he starts down the road washing them one at a time. You see, Peter should have done this. That was his responsibility as the head of this supper. When Jesus gave him directions on, on preparing the supper and put him in charge, when he got there, he was supposed to be the one who made sure that everybody's feet and hands were washed when they came in so that the Jewish idea of being clean or unclean wouldn't take place. So he kneels at their feet and begins to wash their feet. I remember as a kid, we had foot washings. It happened at least once a year. And it wasn't just our church. It was every church within 50 miles gathered at one church. And this service would go on to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning by the time they got through everything they were doing on New Year's Eve. And, and they washed feet. I remember the first year I was at the Bible college they weren't real happy with me that I would dare insinuate or make them think that Bible college was not youth camp. And it wasn't going to be run like youth camp. <laughs> and they weren't there to party. They were there to learn. 
And it, it uh, got a little heated very quickly because it's supposed to be a party every night and, and somebody's going to get some kind of prank pulled on them because it's, it's just youth camp. We're just here. Well, when I addressed the fact it wasn't going to be that way, it wasn't long till we started seeing applications from another Bible college show up with students' names on it from the school because they're going to enroll somewhere else the next semester. So I talked to a previous president, and he said, you know, I had the same problem when I was there. And I think everybody that's ever showed up there has had the same problem. He said, well, what I did one day is I decided to act like Jesus. So we went to Walmart and bought 37 white towels. And the next day, I just simply walked into class where all these really spiritual people were at. And said, we're going to have class a little different today. And I had somebody bring me in a basin of water. And I started at the front of this row and went down it. And then this one and this one and this one and this one and this one. And you know what Jesus did? In our world today, I listen to Pentecostals. There's not a Pentecostal around that wants to do that. We don't like it. It's demeaning. It's beneath us. Which means our attitudes are a little up here. And it's not lowly. So you, you want balance in your life? First step to balance is you're going to have to create humility. Now it's not a, it, it's not something you should be ashamed of to consider the fact that you serve people. I was at a church just recently, last week or week before last, and in between our bouts with COVID, you can get it twice. Now, first time she gave it to me, second time I gave it to her, so I got back. <laughs> but we survived. But at this church, this pastor was telling me about a problem that he's encountering here. And, and this lady come to church, and her first response to him was, what does your church have to offer me? He said, I don't know what to do. So he said, I just thought about a minute. And he said, before I could catch myself, out of my mouth came the words, well, I got a question for you. What do you have to offer the church? See, our world... That's created this entitlement that we owe this, that we, this belongs to us, we should have this, and, and that we don't have to do anything to get it is affecting us, whether we realize it or not. And as a result, selfishness is very easy. The sign of the end of time is that men would become lovers of themselves. Self-centeredness is going to be one of the main characteristics of the end of time. 
But it was also the characteristic of the beginning of the church. So selfishness, lowliness, being selfless is not, it's not something we want to do. Because our world says we have rights. Being American is, is really going to destroy all of us. Our rights are going to destroy us. Now, I can guarantee you, your American citizenship will wreck your marriage. Because you think you have rights, and you go home and demand rights? It don't work at home. It don't work at church. But we're American, and, and... we, we got these rights and so humility and being humble and choosing to not see myself as being more important than somebody else can wreck our lives. It can destroy us. And it's easy to happen, especially if you have any kind of success in your life. I remember teacher telling me one time that every event you experience in life will be a teacher. Some events will teach you that that's what you want to repeat. But other events will teach you that's what you don't want to repeat. Life is a teacher. Abraham Lincoln said, there's not a man alive that I can't learn from. Humility allows me to really become balanced in my life and not get to thinking I got it figured out. Getting old helps out because you start really realizing you don't have nothing figured out. What you think you know and all these things you think you can do, you discover you don't know any of it. And, and that's life. Now, when you're 20, you think you got all the answers. When you get to be 70, you don't even know the question. <laughs> we measure ourselves by ourselves. And that always produces the wrong standard. Amen. I should measure myself by you. I really should measure myself by Jesus Christ. That's, that's the measure of life. I need to learn how to imitate or to allow to be the, the product of my life is when people look at me, they say, he's been with Jesus. Now, I've worked hard all my life trying to project that or, or people would say that. But at this point at 70... I've never heard that comment, which means there's too much of James around. He's been with Jesus. They knew they they had been with Jesus. There, There was something about having that connection that caused you to change the way you think. Our world has caused us to become focused on the wrong thing. And we're chasing the wrong dream. We're chasing the all-American dream instead of the heavenly dream. 
And as a result, then we just add Jesus into our life instead of Jesus being our life. And, and, and we, we incorporate some of his characteristics, but he's not the sinner, and I don't try to act like him, or I don't try to respond like him. See, the scripture lets me know that Jesus did a lot of things that I don't like to do, and he actually asked me to do some things I don't like either. If thy brother smite thee on the right cheek, turn the other. I, I don't want to do that. My nature has a problem with that. My nature, so does yours, because I've talked to some of your kids. And I asked that question in Bible college one day, and I couldn't get an answer in 45 minutes of buzzing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and finally... A gentleman in the back of the class piped up and said, his words were, I'm glad it doesn't tell us what to do afterwards. That, that's a good indication we have missed the whole point. Holy, humbleness, lowliness of mind, long-suffering. That word by itself is terrifying. Long, suffering, long, long suffering. There are two Greek words for patience, makrothumia and hupomone. They both refer to patience. The one that's used here is, is the patience that never gives up. It's the patience that is steadfast, it's consistent. It literally could be translated to tolerate, to follow along behind, to wait patiently for, to allow. That's what God does for us. God is really long-suffering with us. If, if my entrance to heaven was based on how many times I pleased him, I probably never get there. And the odds are, none of you would either. Our entrance to heaven is not based upon our performance. It's based on the number of times we repent over our performance. God don't expect us to be perfect or, or, or spotless or without any kind of defects. The psalmist said he remembered they were but flesh. Tolerating people in a world that doesn't tolerate is not easy to do. And I realize the older I get, the harder that becomes because all I've got to do is get on the freeway and <laughs> my long-suffering shows up really quick. <laughs> and I've tried to work on it, but it still is difficult to, to not want to... Talk to the people that are around you about their driving behaviors. <laughs> There's other people in the world besides you. Pay attention. But they don't listen, do they? Our world's becoming more self-centered. Now, as they get more self-centered, does that justify us becoming less patient because of their behavior? Now, my Bible tells me to honor thy father and mother. 
Paul said, that it may be well with thee, and thou livest long on the earth. Jesus declared it. Honor thy father and mother. There's no asterisk that says I don't have to do it if they're not good. There are no conditions stated by what I need to do. So honoring or valuing or placing value upon is not based upon how they perform or what they do for me, but it's based upon things I'm going to do to make sure that they're part of my life. The Bible says rebuke not an elder. There's no asterisk that says it's okay if they're out of line. What's an elder? Well, the Bible calls it, it speaks about gray hair. <laughs> Hoary head is, is a sign of wisdom. And age is an elder. Now, people call me elder all the time, and I'm thinking, who in the world are you talking about? Then I look in the mirror and realize who they're talking about. Because <laughs> he's not young anymore. He, he thinks he is, but he's not close to being young anymore. Being able to be long-suffering is something I have to choose to do. I'm not born with it. I, I, I challenge you to go watch any child born and see how long-suffering they are. Let's see how much patience they have and see how humble they are. See, you don't show up in this world checking out the, the schedule of everybody at your house. You don't ask mom and dad what time y'all go to bed when you get up. When would you like to eat? I want to get on your schedule so I can do things your way. Is that why you show up? No, you show up screaming at everybody in the room, mad at the world, and you let the neighbors know and everybody know that, that they're not behaving correctly because you want something. And so that we, we've been taught, and because our world is afraid of discipline. My mom had a... <laughs> She, she could correct ADD and ADHD. It's called a switch. <laughs> I didn't need Retlin. I could pay attention to church and I could sit on a pew even though I could climb the walls. With all loneliness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, that word means to hold oneself erect or firm, to sustain, to bear, to endure. You know, he's my brother. The other one shows up occasionally. Uh, he's older than me. I'm older than him. There's a sister in the middle. If you've noticed, they none of us alike. I don't try to make Mark me. And if he tried to make me him, his life would be a wreck. <laughs> Why? Because we have learned how to allow people to be who they are. Right. Be careful how you expect people to pray or to worship. See, we expect people to worship God the way we do. And you may meet Mr. Personality or Miss Personality... And, and, and you can meet everybody in this room and it doesn't, it doesn't bother you in the least bit to, to, to demonstrate our, our, one of the things I noticed about traveling in China, 
They're very reserved people. When they worship, they never come to the front. They go to the back. Oh, they shout, but it's, it's across the back. It's not up front. But sometimes we do it up front so that people know we're doing it. <laughs> See what our world's done to us? It's, we need attention. And, and <laughs> That's balance. For balance to take place, there has to be meek, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another in love. That's a characteristic you have to choose to create. The last one is endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavor means you got to work at it. It's a job. It's, a, it's something you're going to have to put effort and energy into what? Endeavoring to what? Keep. That's guard. Endeavoring to guard. What? The unity of the spirit. My friend says anything that has united in the title probably is the furthest thing from united that exists. That's a quote of Terry Pugh. <laughs> Endeavoring, working at creating unity. See, our world has conditioned us to discover peace instead of create peace. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace seekers. He said, blessed are the peace makers. Every person in this room has the power to generate peace in their world if they choose to, or you can create chaos if you choose to. They've studied the effect of peaceful people on other people in environments at work, friendships, home. One of the places they've looked at is at work. And they've studied the effect of how people who have a peaceful nature affects everybody else in the place. One particular lady who had this incredible ability to make everybody there at, at peace when she walked in the room had an accident. And as a result, was out for a while and, and had her arm uh, severely broken, had surgery to put it all back together. And over time, when she was able to come back, that first comment they made was, there's been no peace at this place since you've been gone. We're just glad to see you back. Well, over time, she had to have several surgeries to fix it. And, and in the process, one day she had her sling with her. And it was bothering her, so she just took it off and put it up on the icebox in the break room. Never thought about it. Well, she had to go out for surgery again. And as a result, uh, they were concerned that this place is not going to be peaceful anymore. But to their amazement... Peace was still there. And then somebody got to looking one day and found that sling on top of the icebox and said, what is this? Well, it's that, the sling that, that the lady was wearing. 
somehow our nature can literally get into our clothes. Didn't, didn't they take a, aprons and, and handkerchiefs that, that Paul that had touched the apostles and they took them to other people and, and as a result they were healed? Is that in the Bible? Am I out of the Bible or not? See, my nature and choosing to have peace and choosing to have balance can change the world around me. The fact is, every person in this room can bring peace to every environment they walk into. When people see you coming, they shouldn't be worried about whether you'll lose your temper or whether you'll, you'll, you'll just put a, produce a scene that day or what's going to happen when you show up. Are, are you going to bring peace or chaos? You can't balance your life without it. Endeavoring to keep unity of the Spirit in the bond. What's the bond? The glue. Peace is the glue that holds life together. You want your life balanced? You want to balance it spiritually? Then there has to be humbleness. There has to be humility. There, there has to be long-suffering. There, there has to be forbearance. If, if I am going to see these characteristics in my life, they're not going to happen because I want them to. They're going to happen because I see the need and I strive to show them in my life. If you pray... For patience, then expect a battle. You know, I've studied church history. I've studied the first New Testament church carefully through the years. There has never been a time in the history of the church that there wasn't conflict. Not since the day of Pentecost, up till the present time. Becoming a child of God doesn't mean that the place just becomes perfect instantly. Matter of fact, the odds are becoming a child of God is going to produce and demonstrate all your bad characteristics. Why? Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more of you you reveal. The closer you get to him, the more you get to know him, then you start seeing, whoa, okay, I, I, I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I got a right to. See, I've, I've had a, a, a mother. Now, her kids will not come to her house. They won't have anything to do with her, and she don't understand why. But her, her response to me when I'm trying to find out, well, what's the condition why nobody shows up at your house? And she, she said, well, I am old enough to say what I want to say. Well, that may be true. Don't mean it's a good idea. See, the Sermon on the Mount is the most irritating thing Jesus ever said. And if you'll get honest when you read it, you'll admit it's irritating. Because he tells us, Quit trying to find faults in somebody else's life when you've got a beam stuck in yours. You're trying to extract a, a splinter out of somebody else's eye and you've got this huge moat beam sticking out of yours and, and, but we're going to fix the other person when they've got a problem. See, that's not balance. 
balance is when I get to the point in my relationship with God that I can allow you to become you, not me. God didn't make 10 James Kilgores. He didn't make two. He made one. And all of us who came out from under him, he don't expect us to be him because he made us us. And all he wants us to be is who he made us to be. And all God wants you to become is what he created you to be. And you use what he put in you for his glory. The will of God is not finding some elusive thing that, that, that you search it for all your life. It's simply to discover your talents and abilities and use them. What's the will of God for your life? What do you have the ability to do? Then find a place in the kingdom of God to use it. Are you good with people? Then find a place in the kingdom of God to use it. Are, 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 are you creative? Then find a place in the kingdom of God to use what he gave you and quit being jealous of what he gave somebody else. See, i got to celebrate what he gave you just as much as I celebrate what he gave me. And according to what he taught, if you ever learn to use what he gave you, he'll double it. So the person who he gave five talents, how many did he get? Five more, he had ten. The person he gave ten, how many did he get? He doubled it. Well, the word talent was about measure weight. That's, he said he divided them according to their several abilities. That's our word, talent. He gives us these abilities that are in our life, and balance allows them to surface. When I'm out of balance then what he created me to be is not going to show up. What's going to show up is probably something more like my first father than my second one. I'll start acting like the guy with the horns instead of the guy with the scars. I'll put on the nature of Satan and expect everybody else to perform, to demonstrate, to do it exactly the way it's supposed to be done, if I put on the nature of Jesus, then I won't rub your nose in your mistakes. Amen. Madeline O'Hare said Christians are the only one who killed or wounded. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, that's true. Mm-hmm. We, we, we can't tolerate mistakes in others. Well, we, we tolerate mistakes in ourselves. We don't expect God to change anything about us. We're, we're allowed to make them, but other people are not. That's not balance. See, balance starts off with understanding that I'm really, a nickel's worth an iodine will make a raging idiot out of everybody in this room. And without him in my life, I can't find the door to get in or out. Nothing I have ever achieved is because of me. It's because of him. Nothing you've ever achieved is not because of you. It's because of him. And when you connect to him correctly, Instead of taking his connection and sticking on all the human beings around you and start living your life through people. When you start living your life through others, that means you're not connected to God. When others have to perform for your life to be what it should be and your kids or your your wife or husband, then you're not connected here. You're connected here. 
And when you, you de- disconnect from him, you're going to attach it to the closest thing. looks like them, and that's human beings. And so I start attaching it to humans, and, and, and I, I start trying to manipulate and control humans instead of allowing God to control me. The word that's used here for patience could be used as a term to describe what you do to a wild animal that you tame to the point that he becomes usable in your service. It's taming a wild horse so that you can hook him up to a buggy to pull you. It's taming an oxen so that it can be placed in a yoke so that it can plow the field. That's the word meekness. Getting me tamed enough that he can put a yoke on me. Because Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heaven laden. Take my what? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I have a yoke. I, I got to get James tamed enough that he can get the yoke on. And I'm not out trying to do my thing and fighting against everything he's trying to do. But I've got me control, then I've got my life balanced. And when I get it balanced, I'll balance it physically. I'll balance it spiritually. I'll balance it emotionally. Every aspect of my life become balanced because I'm not trying to do it out here. I'm doing it in here. It's it's not working on this side. It's working from the inside out. I, I start working on my nature and my attitude and, and, and trying to see how much peace that I can affect in other people's lives. Amen. Now, I have the nature and the ability to carry gasoline to every fire I go to. I can point out to you that was really stupid and you shouldn't have done that. But that does not produce peace. I did it today. At my own house. Because I reminded that lady, (laughs) and I caught myself doing it, that I told you so. That was not peaceful. That wasn't bringing peace. That was not trying to get peace. That was gasoline for the fire. How many fires have you put out or caused to spread? I mean, that's really where the bottom line is. Is is you carrying a water can or a gas can? Are you a peacemaker or a peace seeker? Are are you going to glue life together with your ability to walk into a room and bring peace to the room simply by entering the room because you bring Jesus with you? He is the peacemaker. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and 
joy in the Holy Ghost. When I get the Holy Ghost, righteousness shows up. When I get the Holy Ghost, peace shows up. And, and if I will allow it to live and let the second Adam live in my life instead of the first Adam live in my life, then I, I'm going to produce the right kind of peace that doesn't cause chaos. At 70, without a filter, you want to just say what you want to say. If people are stupid, you'll remind them that's just dumb. It's my choice. God's not going to make you. He's not going to demand you do it. He's not going to force you to do it. But I can guarantee you, the closer you get to him, the more of you you work on. When I get close to Jesus, I don't work on her. I work on me. I understand I got a long, long, long way to go to act like Jesus. Long way to go to even be considered that, you know what, he's hung around Jesus long enough. He kind of acts like him. God's not going to do it. The Holy Ghost's not going to do it. Prayer's not going to do it. You're going to make up your mind. You're just going to get up and make a choice. This is what I'm going to do today. And today, when I get through, I'm going to see if I did it. If I didn't, I'm going to do something to make sure that I get it done tomorrow. That might require starving a little bit. If you want to get you under control, then starve it. That's what science says. Fast. You'll get you under control real quick. Then our lives change. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. It is our balance in life that allows us to discover that there's nothing you cannot do. And that we can do all things through you because we have you living inside of us. Balance is what allows you to become the reflection in our life that allows the world to see you instead of us. So Jesus, I I pray tonight that we as your children wouldn't be afraid to get close enough to you so that you could start reflecting more and more through our lives and that we would start affecting our world by our lives as a result of just getting close to you. Thank you for your incredible word today, Jesus. The biggest battle I'm going to fight every day of my life is going to be with this flesh I live in. It's not going to be with this devil that's trying to torment me or wreck my life, but it will be the flesh that I'm living in that I have to make sure I get under control. So Jesus... I know this is my battle on a daily basis. And I I pledge to you tonight that I'm going to fight this battle every day. I'm going to remind myself every day. This is a new day. You can't relax on yesterday's failures or yesterday's successes. This is a new day. I'm going to fight that battle today. And when this day's over, I'll I'll discover whether or not it was successful or not. If it wasn't, I'm going to do what's necessary to create a next, the next day, so that 
it becomes the successful relationship I'm looking for in living for you. Would you bless your children today? Lord, I, I pray that every one of your children who are here tonight discover what you made them to be and embrace the creation you put inside of them so that they can use what you gave them the ability to be in Jesus' name. Would you worship him for a moment? You're never going to outsmart him. And you're not going to outthink him. You're not going to be more spiritual. The wisest decision you ever make is to get as close to him as you can. So that you take his nature. You don't try to change his nature. You take his nature. The Lord bless you tonight. Greet one another in Jesus' name.